Welcome to ROH Strong Podcast. Here is your host, Kevin Eck. What's up, Honor Nation? Welcome to episode 18 of the ROH Strong Podcast, the official podcast of Ring of Honor Wrestling. To say my guest today has wrestling in his blood would be an understatement. He's a fourth-generation competitor, a New Japan pro wrestling star, and an entrant in the upcoming ROH Pure Title Tournament. He is David Finley. David, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. How's it going? Oh, it's great. How you doing? Pretty good, all things considered. Yes, exactly. Well, speaking of that, uh, the first question that I've asked every guest on this podcast has been, what have you been doing in quarantine? But that streak actually ends with this episode because you've recently competed. You got back in the ring for, uh, you were in the New Japan Cup USA. So my question to you is, how did it feel after what, six months, I guess it was, to, to actually get back in the ring? Uh, honestly, it felt like a car crash. Um, <laughs> having that much time off did not feel good the first day back, so uh, that was kind of like a shock to my system. But once you get the ball rolling, it's all good. That's the thing, right? Once, once, when you bump all the time, your body gets that callus, right? You get used to it. Time off. Not so much, right? You got to sort of uh, build it up again. Is that, is that pretty much the idea? Yeah, I lost my cauliflower body, I guess you could say. <laughs> all right. Well, so now I'll get to the uh, typical first question, which is, uh, what were you doing during quarantine? What were you doing while you were shut in all those, all those months? Uh, well, I was fortunate slash unfortunate enough to live in Georgia, where uh, they didn't actually lock down too hard for too long. So there was right. about a month there where I was kind of just training in my garage. But uh, once things opened up and they were like, all right, here's the protocols to keep everybody safe, I've kind of been back in the gym. So things have been going well. Okay. Binge watching any TV shows or anything like that? So much. I got tired of binge watching and then would just go down YouTube rabbit holes. <laughs> Yeah, you can spend hours on YouTube. I've, I've done Yeah, I ended up on the weirdest things. <laughs> <laughs> a- any examples you can give us of a weird YouTube uh, rabbit hole? No, nah, I'll be ashamed to tell you guys. Ah, okay. <laughs> All right. Well, let me get right to the, to the big news as it pertains to Ring of Honor. Uh, it was announced recently that ROH is returning to in-ring action. This month, uh, we're taping new episodes of the Ring of Honor Wrestling TV show. And it all kicks off with the RH Pure Title Tournament, which, as we said, you will be a part of. So what are your thoughts just in general of the resurrection of the Pure Title and uh, being a participant in this tournament? Um, well, to be honest, I don't know too much about it. I know it's more based on pure wrestling rules. I know you get like a certain amount of rope breaks, no punches to the face. So like uh, a new challenge seemed interesting to me, especially since I had absolutely nothing going on. So um, I was just ready to get back into a ring, and I was willing to take anything I could. So, Well, just to uh, give you a little bit of history, some of the names that have held this title, guys like uh, Samoa Joe, Brian Danielson, Nigel McGuinness, uh, Jay, uh, Jay Lethal, AJ Styles. So it would be a pretty impressive list, uh, you know, if you could add your name to it. And uh, it's right in the title, right? The uh, – it, it focuses on pure wrestling, and that seems like it might be something that's kind of right up your alley. 
Um, and for fans who like a more, I guess, sports-centric presentation of pro wrestling, that's what, we'll get, that's what they'll get with this tournament. So, I mean, is that a style that, that you think favors you? Yeah, 100%. Um, like you mentioned earlier, four generations of wrestlers are in my family. I'm the fourth one. Also, I am a product of the New Japan Dojo, which also, yeah. I think, benefits me in this tournament. So I think this is something that's right up my alley. So you had a brief run in, uh, in Ring of Honor last year, right? You came in in uh, the early part of 2019 as a member of Lifeblood. Mm -hmm. You were with uh, Juice Robinson, Bandito, Mark Haskins, uh, Tracy Williams, and Tennille Dashwood. Unfortunately for you, that run ended prematurely uh, when you suffered a serious shoulder injury. I, I believe it was a torn labrum. Is that correct? Yeah, I dislocated my shoulder and had a 50% tear in my labrum. That sounds painful. That, that puts you on the shelf for, what, about six months, I guess? Um, eight. Eight months. Wow. It, is that the worst injury you've ever had in your career? Yeah, by far. That's the only one I've really had to take a substantial amount of time off for. Uh, yeah, it, that one sucked real bad. Do you, do you know how – it happened in what? In a mat, uh, tag match with the Briscoes, right? You and Juice against yes. the Briscoes? Yes, this happened at Cork and Hall in Japan for the Honor Rising shows. And I think it was actually like the last match of the entire loop that we were doing. Okay. And uh, yeah, just tore my, uh, tore my labor mid-match. Um, so yeah, it, it was rough. Luckily, I was flying home the next day, but I had to fly home with like a makeshift sling on the airplane for like 14 hours. So that really sucked. But um, yeah, I heard it at Cork and for an ROH show. Do you remember how it happened in, during the match? Yes. So Juice and I, have, we have pretty good chemistry with buddies. So, like, usually we, uh, we can pull off most moves without having to practice them before. And we decided in the match we were going to do a, like, powerbomb European that we had talked about doing before when we were out drinking one time. So in the match, like, all right, let's do this. Get up there. And something went wrong, and I jumped off to the side off the top rope. And my foot got caught on the top Ooh. rope as I was coming down. And I landed elbow first. My shoulder just, like, popped out of place. And out of, uh, out of panic, I guess, I shoved it back in. I was just, like, in shock. I was just like, oh, my shoulder, my shoulder. Oh. So uh, I roll over to Juice. I'm like, yo, my shoulder's out. He's like, well, you got to pin him anyways. So I roll <laughs> over, <laughs> pin whoever was legal. And uh, after that, I just couldn't move. I was like, my, I'm in so much pain right now. Uh, well, see, that's what I was going to ask you. Sometimes I know guys when they get those bad injuries like that, they say they don't really, because of the adrenaline going, they don't really feel it till they get to the back. But you felt it right away. Yeah, it, it, I felt it right away. And then when I got to the back and talked to the doctor, that's when it started kind of like uh, the pain started kind of wearing down a bit. So I had like a delayed adrenaline kick. And then when I got back to my hotel to sleep that night, I just couldn't. It was so tender. It's, I don't know, anyone that's ever, like, dislocated anything would kind of know what I'm talking about, but it's just yeah. so tender. Everything hurts so bad. Yeah, I guess when you get that, like you said, like, even, like, trying to sleep, I'm sure, is, was an un, unbearable chore. Um, and then getting on a plane, what would you say, for 14 hours? Mm-hmm. Yep, 14 hours in economy. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you didn't, you didn't have the middle seat, I hope. No, fortunately, I have enough status to pick my own seat, so okay. I was on the aisle. All right. Well, that's a, at least a little bit of a blessing. Yeah, it was, it was uh, not as bad as it could have been. So what, what were your thoughts in general on, uh, as I said, the lifeblood thing, it was kind of a, it ended up being a shorter run than, than anticipated. 
but I know you, you took part in some great tag matches and uh, some 10-man tags. What were, what were your thoughts on uh, being part of that faction? Um, I was interested to see where it was going to go, honestly, because I was like, oh, this is uh, – all right, we're getting all paired up. None of us – the only one I'd really known from before was Juice, obviously. We tagged together. But uh, I wasn't really um, acquainted with anybody else in the group until we all got paired together. So it was interesting to see, like, where it was going to go, unfortunately. Uh, the rug kind of got swept out from under it before the ball really got rolling. Um, like, I think Tanil left, and then I got injured, and then, like, our New Japan schedule started picking up, so it was, like, half the group gone almost immediately. But yeah. um, for the most part, it was just like, all right, this is something new. Let's see what we can make of it. Yeah, it was fun while it lasted, right? But then once your injury started, everything kind of went downhill after that. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> wrestling sometimes. Things happen. Yeah. Well, you keep you mentioned Juice a few times. Um, tell me a little bit about your your friendship with uh, with Juice Robinson. How did you become close friends? Obviously, you know you're together in New Japan, your partners, uh, but you guys are actually pretty close friends, correct? Yeah, we actually came up through the dojo together. He came in about three or four months after I did, um, okay. and then our rooms were like right next to each other. We'd always get taken out to the same sponsor dinners together. Our hotel rooms tended to be like next door to each other, so. Uh, it's just from being on the road together, you just naturally form a bond and become really good friends because I'm around him more than anybody else. So would you say your personalities are uh, similar or is it one of those? Yeah, we're... <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, as, as my boss would say, we're just two American idiots. So um, <laughs> playfully, he says that playfully. But um, yeah, I don't know. We just, we just like having a good time, having fun. So like we, we click pretty well. I asked Juice one time uh, when Lifeblood first started, when I interviewed him, I asked him uh, just a playful question. I said, what's, uh, what's uh, David Finley's worst quality? He said it was your tan. <laughs> so I'm going to return the favor and ask you, what's Juice's worst quality? Oh, man. I don't want to say mean things about him. Um, <laughs> no, I'm going to be the bigger man here and say Juice has no bad qualities. He's only good. Oh, there you go. Okay, so after you were injured, as we talked about, Juice, as, as we know, he was, he was working with ROH and New Japan, but then he decided to concentrate solely on New Japan and to leave ROH. I think Juice made it uh, public that he, um, he just he moved to Japan. And that yeah, was he just, it just, uh, yeah, he moved to Japan because he was kind of tired of the travel, so it just didn't, it would have defeated the purpose of yeah. moving to Japan to begin with. Right, which makes sense. I mean, that's a... Yeah. Certainly not a uh, easy flight back and forth. No, nah, 14 hours each way kind of sucks when you do it multiple times a year. Right. I, do, have you ever considered doing what he's doing and, and, and living there or no? Absolutely not. I lived there for a year and a half when I was in the dojo, and that's enough for me. My family's back in Atlanta. That's, you know, that's home for me. So Plus, I'm married. I don't want to uproot my wife and my pets. Okay. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, well, we're just getting started here with uh, David Finley. We're going to take our first short break, and then we'll be back with more with David right after this. Hi, I'm Quinn McKay, the host of Ring of Honor's weekly YouTube show, Week by Week. Join me every Monday, the same day as this podcast, as we catch up on all the groundbreaking ROH news and get some exclusive comments from some of your favorite stars. We also have some really great weekly segments like Question of the Week and my personal favorite, the Week by Week Physique. Join me every Monday at 1 p.m. on social media and youtube.com slash ring of honor for week by week. All right, 
We're back on the RH Strong podcast. My guest is uh, David Finley. As we mentioned at the top of the show, you are a fourth generation wrestler. Everyone obviously is familiar with your father, Fit Finley, but I understand. So your grandfather, and just to make sure I got this right, your grandfather and your both of your great grandfathers also wrestled. Uh. So I'm actually, it might be both, but definitely one of them. Okay. I think they were both involved. I think one was just uh, either like a promoter or a ring announcer um, on my uh, maternal side, I guess. So my dad's mom's dad. Right. Would have been the ring announcer slash promoter. But like, as far as like the Finlay line, like four generations back. So my great grandfather was a pro wrestler. Um, my grandfather, pro wrestler, built his own ring. My, obviously, my dad was a wrestler. Uh, my dad's sister was a referee. And okay. me, my brother, and sister, all amateur wrestlers. And then I'm the only one old enough to really wrestle professionally, but we got uh, my brother and sister in training as well. So just a wrestling family. Gotcha. So, what? I mean, obvious question is, I guess, just, you know, what was that like growing up uh, in a family of wrestlers? Uh, did you know that this was, you know, you wanted to follow in your family's uh, footsteps and be part of the family business? Uh, Or, I mean, was it something that was encouraged for you to do? Yeah, so I knew, so as early as I can remember, which is about two years old, I've always wanted to do what my dad did, which is, excuse me, obviously wrestling. Um, And that that never really wavered at all. Um, So, yeah, that's pretty much what I wanted to do my whole life, and it was never... uh, it was never pressed on me to do it, but it also wasn't like, don't do this. Like my parents okay. just wanted me to do what I was passionate about, what made me happy and just go and like be good at it, you know? So that happened to be wrestling. And I do think my dad is a little bit happier that it is wrestling because he loves it so much as well. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I was always left to do whatever I wanted to do um, with my life. So yeah, that leads me to where I'm at now. Yep. Okay. So you were born in, uh, in Germany. That's what I read. Is that, is that right? Yes, I was born in Germany. Okay, so that's why I guess your, your dad was wrestling for the uh, Catch Wrestling Association at that point. Yes, he was. Did you guys actually, so did you live in, in Germany? Yeah, um, until I was about three or four. I think we moved to the States in like December of 96 or 97. Okay. But before that, I was born in 93. So before that, we lived somewhere in Germany. I can't really remember where. Okay. But uh, yeah, we moved over because my dad got uh, a contract with WCW, so that's what brought us to the states. Right. Did you have any? Do you have any memories of uh, those early years in Germany, or too young? Uh, I remember like pictures of like areas. I don't have like any vivid memories. Just like I remember like a cobblestone street, and I kind of remember like the caravans around the Schutzenplatz, which is where they would hold the wrestling in uh, Hanover. Okay. So like, I just vague stuff, not too much. This was uh, Otto Wands's uh, Otto Wands's promotion, correct? I believe so. Okay. When was the first time that you actually stepped into a wrestling ring? I don't mean as a wrestler. I mean like you could have been as a child. Like when do you remember oh. like the first time? No, I don't remember. But there's a picture of it. It's me as like a baby. I can't even stand on my own yet, but I'm hanging onto the bottom rope. Um. So <laughs> like maybe like two, three months. I don't know how fast babies develop, but like a couple months old. Okay. So literally, you were—you definitely were born for the business. There's no doubt about it. Yes, yes. I have baby uh, pictures in wrestling rings. Yeah. Did your father smarten you up to the business when you were a kid, or did that come later? 
No, I always knew, but I think my mind was like too young to like really fully understand it. Like I always knew, but then like obviously I would buy into everything as well. So <laughs> maybe I didn't know too well, but yeah, I, I was always like, it was never hidden from me. Okay. Okay. And you mentioned you have, um, would you say two younger siblings and they are on the path as well to, to be pro wrestling? Yeah. So I've got a sister that's 19. Mm-hmm. And a brother that is 17. He's actually a senior in high school now. So he's got his last year of school. And then he wants to pursue wrestling as well. And I think my sister does too. And of course, we all know that your uh, half-brother Hornswoggle wrestled as well. Yes, he did. <laughs> did during your, your dad's WWE run, did anybody ever ask you if, if Hornswoggle was really related to you? Did you get that question? All right, let me give you a story to answer this question. So okay. then, uh, I think they, you know, made that big reveal on like a Raw or something. So either that Monday morning before I went to school or the Sunday night before, my mom like sat me down and was like, David, this is what they're going to do on TV. They're going to say that Hornswoggle is your father's son. He's not. Don't worry. I'm like, yeah, I know. But she was like, but that means the kids at school are going to ask you if this is the case. And you have to tell them yes. I'm like, what? She's like, no, you have to tell him yes. I'm like, oh, okay. So sure enough, Tuesday morning comes around, everyone at school is like, is that really your brother? Is that really your brother? So I'm like, oh, yes. So now they're asking all these follow-up questions because they know I'm lying to them. So I'm having to, like, make up stories on the fly to, you know, protect that <laughs> Owen Swoggle is my brother. Got to protect the business. Yep. So even my mom, who never laced up a pair of boots, was like, you, you got to tell people he's your brother. I love the commitment to the craft. Great. Um, when you decided to become a wrestler, were you, I guess, the, you know, I, my first thought is that you just went to your dad and said, train me. Is that, is that how it went? No, that's not how it went. So how my debut came about. Um, so during my school years, once a summer, my dad would take me on the road with him for like a week and we'd get in the ring, roll around. He'd teach me stuff. So like I was learning here and there growing up and then um when i was 15 my parents got a ring and that'd been in my house it was like in the garage so it was right there but my dad was only home like two days a week and i was always like conscientious of his time at home because i know being on the road sucks um sometimes so i was like i don't want him to take away like i don't want to hog all of dad's time at home so i would never ask him to go in the ring with me um and then when I was like 19, he randomly was like, oh, I'm thinking we don't retire. You want to tag with me for my last match? So I was like, yeah, sure. No problem. <laughs> thinking it was never going to happen. And like 10 days later, he's like, all right, we're going to Germany in two weeks. We're tagging against uh, Robbie Brookside, Danny Collins. Like, Dad, I don't know how to wrestle. I don't have gear. I didn't think this was actually going to be real. And he's just like laughing. At me. He's like, ah, oh, you'll be fine. So he took me on like a 10-day crash course in the ring. And like, we just bought some like cheap wrestling gear and it was off to the races. Wow. I can't imagine how, uh, I mean, were you just petrified that first time? Yes. Oh, so, like, I remember before we were going through the curtain because it was a tag that, or a tag match with my dad. Um, like, his music's playing. I'm just, like, about to crap my pants. I'm like, I'm so nervous. I might pull out last second. Like, God, I can't do it. But, I mean, obviously I didn't. And it was all fine as soon as you get through the curtain. But, man, I don't think I've ever been so nervous in my life. I could imagine. I could imagine. Well, at least you had your dad there with you to kind of yeah it helped it helped but also kind of made it worse at the same time so it was like a blessing and a curse ah because you knew he had that watchful critical eye on you i guess right 
yeah, I just was like, I just want my dad to be proud of me. It was the last one. You know, if I mess this one up, I'm not going to get a chance to redeem myself. That's right. So, uh, <laughs> you know, so it was like, I was just putting too much pressure on it. My dad was just happy to, you know, have be in the ring with his son before he retires, you know? Right. So we had fun. It's a good memory for the two of us. We reminisce upon it from time to time. What's the best advice your dad ever gave you about the wrestling business? <sighs> Save your money. Mm, that's good advice for anybody, right? <laughs> Any business. Yeah. Yep. When you made your debut, you mentioned it, you were, you were 19 years old. You wrestled those first few years for the most part in, in Europe, right? I guess you had a few dates in the States, but were you primarily based in Europe? I like, I have the weirdest, like first like year and a half of wrestling. So I debuted in Germany and then it already like committed to taking a gap year in like Southern Africa. Um, cause I just finished high school. I was like, I don't really, I'm not 100% sure I want to wrestle. Let me go like do some volunteer work, figure it out. And if that's what I still want to do when I come back, I'll go for it. Um, so that was my plan. Uh, I ended up in Cape Town, South Africa. WWE happened to be on tour while I was there. So I was like, Oh, I'm going to go meet up with my dad. So I go there. PJ Black's there. He was like, Oh, are you wrestling down here? I'm like, nah. And he hooked me up with a wrestling school. In South Africa so I wrestled down there for like a couple months came okay. back to the states wrestled for like six months I think and then I went to England and wrestled for Brian Dixon so I was like all over the place and then just went straight to Japan do you think looking back being um wrestling overseas for these different promotions do you think that helped with maybe the learning curve learning different styles in front of different crowds and things like that yeah, I definitely think it helped. Um, like when I was in England, I was wrestling sometimes 10 times a week. So like, yeah, there's not too many places where you can get that much experience in such a short amount of time. So I definitely think that was the best move for me in that time period. So in 2015, I know that you went to Japan for the best of the super juniors. And um, you were working with guys like Kushida and Alex Shelley, Rocky Romero, obviously these, these great uh, veterans. Um, what was that like for a young guy with just a, you know, a couple years in to be in that environment and working with those kind of guys? Uh, I think looking back, I was definitely in over my head. Um, New Japan was kind enough to give me the opportunity and I'm forever grateful for it because now I make a living off of New Japan. But uh, when I was there, I was like, oh, this is cool. This is a really big opportunity. And I don't think I realized how big it was um, while it was happening. Like uh, I, I think it was a great learning experience. I did good enough for them to want to keep me because they were like, hey, uh, there's a spot in the dojo for you if you want it. Um, you're going to have to start over and be a young boy. Um, but it's there for you if you want it. So, of course, I took that. And uh, it worked out pretty well for me since. Well, that's what I was going to ask you about, being in the Young Lion uh, system. For those who aren't maybe real familiar with it, can you just explain what that's like and what you have to go through? Lots of squats um, <laughs> off the top of my head. Now, we wake up. So your typical day when you're not on the road is you wake up at 8 a.m., you clean the dojo, like the living area, the communal area, the training area, you clean everything. Um, and then you have until 10 to kind of like chill, eat breakfast, go back to sleep, whatever you want to do. 10 o'clock sharp, you got to be in the dojo before 10, but 10 o'clock sharp, they start warming up. And then you're working out until maybe 2 just like push-ups, squats, wrestling, you're going. And then uh, you're allowed to take a quick shower, eat lunch real quick, and then you're just doing laundry the rest of the day or cleaning or making sure like the other senpais have their food. You know, like you're just 
you're basically like serving everyone else there and kind of paying your dues. And uh, that was my life for like a year and a half. And when you're on the road, you're actually like certain guys would be like, Hey, uh, can you do my laundry? And they'll pay you a little bit of money, but you got to go and do like laundry every night. So we'd be going out to like sponsor dinners. It'd be like 3 a.m. And I'm like, oh, crap, we still got to do laundry. So it was a lot of fun, but like a lot of responsibility that came with it. Right. And just not with, I mean, notwithstanding all the, uh, the chores and things like that, but pretty physically grueling uh, as far as the training, right? Yeah, it's, I was an amateur wrestler in high school and the New Japan Dojo was like 10 times harder than anything I've ever done while I was amateur wrestling. Was there ever ever a point where where you questioned whether you could get through it? Yeah, day two. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, day one, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, actually, well, yeah. Let me correct that. I think it was day one because uh, so this is when Jay White and I were still friends. Uh, I'd known him from my time in England, so he was in the dojo when I got there. So I was like, "Hey, what's what's the word on like the squats?" Because I've heard horror stories. He's like, "Ah." The most I've ever had to do is like 500. You'll be fine. I'm like, ah, oh, 500. All right, I can do that. I've done that before. Day one, uh, Yo looks over at me and just goes 1,000. I'm like, what? He's like, 1,000. And they just start squatting. And I have no idea how to count in Japanese. So I don't know what number one or anything. I'm just watching the clock. And it took about 45 minutes. I'm just like, I don't know if I can do this. But I'm like, also, I can't go home because my dad will disown me. So I have to just keep squatting. And uh, yeah, so then day two comes around. My legs are... I could not move. Day two comes around and a thousand again. Day three comes around a thousand again. And then luckily it was like an off day after that, but man, it sucks so bad. And how many did Jay White tell you? He told me 500 and then was laughing at me afterwards. He's like, dude, I swear we never had to do a thousand. <laughs> I was say, was he, was that a rib or was he, was he setting you it, up? No, he I just got unlucky. Okay. I think one of the, one of the uh, guys that was running the dojo at the time wanted to, from what I heard later on in my time there was like, uh, they just wanted to test me and see if I would do it just because uh, my dad was a wrestler. And I think they really just wanted to see if I, how bad I wanted it, which makes sense. Right. Well, that, that's interesting because obviously, yes, you do have this, this bloodline. Um, and of course everyone knew who your, who your father was. Did you, did you feel like going through the young Lions system was kind of a way to show that, you didn't have any kind of sense of entitlement about you because of you know, your family's history in the business that you were willing to pay those dues. Uh, I mean, yes, but it's hard to say that because I did get my spot because of my dad. So it's hard to go like, well, see, I'm not entitled when like there's people that scratch and claw and we'll never get a phone call. You know what I mean? Right. But I think that given my options, that was the best thing I could have done to go like, no, I really want to do this because this is, you know, I want to do it on my own name and not my dad's. So, you know, there's always going to be that connection to my dad and that'll never go away, but that's the best I could do. Yep. No, I get it. As far as like, um, yeah, your last name is going to get you the opportunity, but then once you, once you step through that door, you're not, you weren't treated obviously any differently than anybody else. And you still have to earn it. All your name really got you was, the opportunity to walk through the door after right, that. Exactly. Right. Yeah. The moment I went through the door, nobody cared who I was. So, which I, in hindsight was really, really good because I think my immaturity at that point, if anyone would have, you know, started talking about, or I don't know, just show me special treatment because of that. I, it definitely would have went to my head in a heartbeat. So you mentioned Jay White. And um, so I did some research before, before this interview today, and I went to a website called cagematch.net 
according to their statistics, because they keep uh, match statistics on everybody, you've been in the ring with Jay um, 87 times, 54 times um, as opponents, and 33 times as partners. Well, these were all, you know, not just singles matches, obviously, tag matches, whatever. But that's a lot of time to be in the ring with one guy. Um, is there a rivalry that existed between you two or some kind of bond that you formed? What, what was that relationship like? Because obviously you went through the whole system together. Yeah, I would say before he went on an excursion, we were probably best friends. I mean, like, more so than, uh, you know, Juice and I were at that point in time, just because, like, we'd have to go and do laundry together and all this stuff. So, like, we were literally side by side almost the entire day outside of like going to our hotel rooms and sleeping. Um, so yeah, naturally there was like this rivalry that started between us. It started off friendly and then eventually, you know, time passes, we all go our separate ways and uh, we're, I would consider us still rivals. I'm going to ask you about some of your uh, favorite memories from new Japan. Um, winning the tag titles with juice uh, at the Tokyo dome, I guess it was wrestle kingdom 14, I think. Um, 40,000 people, the Tokyo Dome, would that be a highlight to this point? I would say that's the highest point in my career. Not too many things can top winning a title at the Tokyo Dome. And uh, since I am a, I consider myself a tag team wrestler, winning the highest prize in tag team wrestling at, you know, the biggest stage I possibly could, you can't top it. And you beat the Gorillas of Destiny, correct? Yes. Well, that's a pretty good feather in your cap as well. Uh, yeah, it is. They, uh, I think they have the most reigns of the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team Championship. They are undoubtedly one of the best teams in uh, New Japan history. So that's quite an accomplishment, I'd say. Absolutely. No question about that. All right, well, we're going to take our second break. And then when we come back, we're going to do a little thing we call 10 questions. You up for 10 questions, Dave? I am ready for 10 questions. Okay, we'll be right back after this. I'm Maynard the Malt Maker. I am Mega the Bard. I'm Ander the Goliath. I'm Santi the Bard. And I'm Sia the Wizard. And I'm Quinn McKay. And to see what character I'll be playing, you'll have to check out the next episode of Roleplay of Honor. Join these stars and more for Roleplay of Honor. All right, we're back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest today is David Finley. He will be a competitor in the upcoming Ring of Honor Pure Title Tournament. But now it's time to play 10 Questions. And it is now time for 10 Questions with Kevin. Dave, question number one. What's your favorite thing about Japan? My favorite thing about Japan would have to be yakiniku. And yakiniku, for those of you who don't know, is just Korean barbecue. It's all you can eat. So you pay, like, not too much money for two hours of really good quality beef and unlimited drinks. So that's my favorite thing about Japan. Okay. Question number two. What's something on your bucket list? Hmm, something on my bucket list. Uh, I'd like to go to Australia. Okay, well, you've been all over the world wrestling. That's, that's one place you haven't been to. <laughs> no, I haven't been to Australia. Okay. All right, question number three. What's something that's popular that you don't see the appeal of? Uh, a lot of mainstream music. 
Hmm. Okay. Well, that's going to lead me right into. It's funny you should say that. <laughs> that leads me right into my next question. Question four: Who's the greatest rock band of all time, in your opinion? Ah, uh, greatest rock band. That's such a tough one. I'm not good at these ones where you have to single them out. Um, greatest rock band. Uh, I don't know. Uh, does Slipknot count? I like Slipknot a lot. Yeah, they count. Of course. All right, we'll do Slipknot. It's <laughs> a uh, Subliminal Verses. Wasn't that one of their? Uh... CDs? Yes. Yes, it is. That's a good one. All right. Question number five. What's a subject you'd like to know more about? Space. Hmm. Okay. Question number six. Do you have a guilty pleasure? Something that you like that eh, maybe you wouldn't want to quite admit. Uh, yeah, I like to listen to Jim Cornette talk about things on YouTube. <laughs> Because it's very entertaining. That's one of those <laughs> rabbit holes that you fell down, right? During the course. Yes. Yep. Well, that's something we have in common because I, I did the same thing. <laughs> Once it yeah, he's, there, he's pretty entertaining. <laughs> absolutely. Once it, I know he's polarizing, but yeah, once once the Cornet video pops up and you click on it and you watch one and then you got the other ones, like you could, yep. you, you could be there for hours. Yep, that, that's happened to me quite a few times. <laughs> He hasn't ever discussed you on the pod. He never uh, cut a promo on you, did he? Uh, no, not that I know of. Okay. Yeah, I don't I mean, what, I mean, if he does, whatever. He's an old man on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Question number seven. I know you like to keep yourself in good shape, but do you have a favorite cheat food? Oh, cheesecake. I love cheesecake. Ah, amen, brother. Amen. Question number eight. Are you a dog person, cat person, both, or neither? So I have two dogs and one cat. And the cat and I are like roommates. And the dogs are my babies. So I would say I'm a dog person. Okay, yeah, I would agree with that. I never quite understood cats, really. Dogs have all that personality. Cats kind of like, they don't really care if you're around or not. At least cats I've seen. Yeah, that's how my cat is. She's just like, ah, oh, whatever. If I have treats, she's interested. And if I don't, she's like, whatever, leave me alone. Right. All right, question number nine. This is a fun one. Uh, which actor would play you in the David Finley story? Ooh. Um, let's do Chris Hemsworth when he looks like Thor. That's a good one. Can't argue with that. I know you got the long hair going now. I Awesome picture yeah. back early in your career, man. You look like a different guy with the short hair. Yeah, I just stopped getting haircuts, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because question number 10, it's, it's great how these all one lead into the next. It's actually about hair. Question 10, if the mullet came back in style, would you get one? Ah, see, I, people have been begging me to get a mullet for years. And if it was stylish, I think I would probably cave and get one. Okay, because you know your dad had one of the greatest mullets in the history of mullets. He had he had the sweetest mullet mustache combo I've ever seen. And no question about it. I mean that was right up there with any. I, I found <laughs> it had a better mullet and mustache than that than, than fit. I'm with you there. <laughs> All right. Well, that is the end of uh, of ten questions. Before we wrap up, um, are, do you do the social media thing? Are you are you on uh, the so, the social media channels? I have them. I have uh, Twitter and Instagram. I kind of just use Twitter to repeat whatever New Japan tells me to repeat, and uh, <laughs> Instagram is just like here's what my dogs are doing when I'm home. So 
Okay. You want to give out your – Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at TheDavidFinley. You can follow me on Instagram at SuperSuperDave. Okay, excellent. Dave, any uh, final words then before we wrap up about the Pure Title Tournament or anything else? Any, Any final words to the Ring of Honor fans? Yeah, I'm excited to come back to Ring of Honor. It's been like a year and a half. I'm really excited to do the Pure Tournament. I hope to win it and be the next Pure Champion. All right, man. Well, best of luck to you, and uh, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. All right. We'll take our final break, and then as an added bonus, I'll be joined by Ian Riccoboni. Welcome, Ring of Honor fans. It is our distinct pleasure to bring to you not only 18 years of great professional wrestling, the best professional wrestling on the planet, but tonight, a very important topic. It is the first of many ROH roundtables, and tonight, we're going to be discussing Black Lives Matter, police brutality, and what it means to be black in professional wrestling, race and racism in the sport that we love. ROH Roundtable, now available on youtube.com slash ring of honor. Welcome back to the ROH Strong Podcast. My next guest is one of the voices of Ring of Honor. I can't say the voice of Ring of Honor because ring announcer Bobby Cruz has that distinction, but This man's voice, certainly very familiar to all Ring of Honor fans. He is Ian Riccoboni. Ian, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Kevin. And yeah, uh, Bobby... You know, by virtue of tenure and by virtue of being a part of some of the biggest moments in Ring of Honor history, uh, has earned that title. Although I, I can't believe I've been with Ring of Honor over six years now, which it wow. seems like yesterday. Yeah, it seems like yesterday I drove down to uh, Laurel, Delaware and uh, participated in called Future of Honor 2. And uh, here we are six years later. <laughs> it's uh, Time really flies. Time does fly. No, no question. Yeah, I remember just seems like yesterday I was listening to you doing... The Women of Honor, what was it, like Women of Honor Wednesdays? Is that what we were doing? Yeah, Women of Honor Wednesdays. It was mostly me and Nigel at the right. time. And then, uh, you know, I had various partners, Nigel, uh, Rico de la Vega, uh, you name it. I've got called matches with them. And uh, that was a lot of fun. It was a great opportunity to see some of the rising stars. And you can go back and watch all of those matches on, on YouTube. And you'll see some names that you've seen going to continue success in Ring of Honor and in other organizations. And uh, it's a great opportunity for me to get some some real live experience and get used to people talking in your headset and things like that. <laughs> well, and I give you a lot of credit because uh, you went from that and you were kind of thrown right into the fire there when a uh, previous play-by-play man, uh, the great Kevin Kelly, uh, moved on to New Japan full-time. You were kind of thrown into the fire. But I think because of that previous experience, you just kind of hit the ground running and uh, I don't think we missed a step as far as that, uh, you know, kind of the passing of the torch. I appreciate it. And um, funny story about learning that I would be the, the guy. Um, I was traveling on business that day and I was in the O'Hare airport and uh, I had to sneak to a restroom because it was the quietest 
place to take the call. <laughs> and uh, I, I saw it was the name of our executive producer on the phone. And, and at that, by that point, he had never, he never called me or rarely called me. You know, I wasn't quite in the pecking order where I needed to be called. So I knew it was important. Uh, so I snuck into the restroom and was having this jubilant conversation. <laughs> so I'm sure there was folks in the O'Hare airport that were uh, wondering what quite what was going on. That day. <laughs> All right. Well, at least it wasn't like, um, the famous story that Jim Ross told in the bathroom, which I'm, you're probably familiar with, which is that he heard the back in the territory days when Vince McMahon Jr. was taking over everything. He claims he heard a, uh, a murder plot from some of the other promoters that were going to murder Vince Jr. Oh my goodness. Have you heard that? I haven't, but to bring things full circle, the I've met JR once and it was in a bathroom. <laughs> so <laughs> completely. All right, all right. Well, we're going to, we're going to get out of the bathrooms now for a second. <laughs> and um, got to talk about the big news and I'm not talking about, you know, ROH returning to in-ring action in the pure title tournament. That's big news for sure, which we'll get to. I'm talking about the biggest story in ring of honor right now, which is your hair. <laughs> Ian, what is, what's going on with that? Yeah, you know what? With the uh, with the quarantine, um, my wife and kids and I, we've been doing our best to stay healthy. And the best way to do that is stay in when you can and limit your interactions with other folks. And that includes not going to the barber. And I've gone to the same barber, Carmine, in Allentown, Pennsylvania, since I was eight months old. And, um, you know, I, I was going to him about once a month since taking over for, for Kevin in 2017. So uh, I'm used to getting my hair cut once a month for three straight years. And it was, I think we measured it. It was, it was eight and a half inches, I think was the final tally, which for me is incredibly long. Um, I'm used to having Carmine take a zero to the sides and trim the top with scissors after taking it down to like a three on top. <laughs> so eight inches for me is, is, uh, is incredibly long for my hair. Um, I wanted to do something different. You know, I wanted to, you don't get many opportunities to, to do something fun and do something different with your hair, especially because play-by-play guys for so long are supposed to be kind of neat and tidy and, and well-kept. And, and uh, with the quarantine and everything and, and, you know, the restart, it felt like a good time to try something new. So I've always liked the, uh, the European soccer players, the Euro mullets. Um, I've always actually been, been a huge Springsteen fan, but I've also always loved punk rock. And, um, you know, I've always been a fan of the Clash, of uh, the Buzzcocks, of the Vibrators, of the bands like that, of, of the 70s and into the 80s. And so a lot of those guys have uh, road warrior style haircuts and do it yourself, do it yourself mullets and do it yourself mohawks. So um, I went with, uh, with a haircut that was probably last seen on wrestling television by uh, the new breed. <laughs> in the That's NWA. exactly what I thought when I saw it. Yeah. Chris Champion and uh, Sean, I can't remember. Sean Royal. Sean right? Royal. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, and they were they were from they alleged they were from 2020, That's if I'm right. not mistaken. <laughs> so, I, you know, maybe they did prophesy something. I don't know. <laughs> uh, you know, unfortunately, we didn't get President Dusty Rhodes, That's right. uh, but we did get the haircut. And uh, yeah, I thought it might be fun. Thought it might be different. And I kid you not, the minute I posted that on Twitter on Instagram, Caprice Coleman sent me a photo, and he has almost the same haircut. 
uh, just without the the mud flap part that I kept on the back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that party in the back is uh, something else. I got to tell you. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's get now that we've gotten the the biggest news out of the way. Um, let's go. Let's talk about the fact that we're coming back, Ring of Honor, coming back to live events. Uh, it's going to be in uh, an empty arena, but we will be back in ring action first time in six months. How excited are you to be calling live wrestling matches again? When we were first told, we had about a three-week advance notice that this was really happening. Um, in the X-Files and in the press release, I think it was mentioned that we had a previous idea of a potential July taping that didn't quite come to fruition. The, the COVID numbers were a little too high and the partnership with the Maryland State Athletic Commission wasn't quite ironed out the way it is now, uh, where things were agreed upon upon testing and timing of testing. Um, so there was, there was an idea that we might be doing it in July. And then when it was confirmed for August, uh, I was ecstatic. I mean, Ring of Honor's taking care of us every step of the way. Um, I've continued to get, you know, a monthly paycheck despite um, you know, doing just some YouTube efforts, um, doing some YouTube narration and some content narration. Um, but I haven't called a wrestling event since February 29th, uh, 2020. And so uh, just about six months later, here we are in Baltimore. And it's, it's going to be a historic event. Uh, we're we're going to leave as a company, Baltimore, knowing that there is a pure champion. And that's going to be the first pure champion in 14 years. And that's really a style that Ring of Honor uh, was built upon. Um, you look at the guys that have, that have held that title, whether it's Doug Williams or AJ Styles, John Walters, um, to guys like Nigel, Jay Lethal, Samoa Joe, and then, and then Brian Danielson, who unified the title with the world title. It's just a who's who of, of folks that really emphasize just wrestling. And that's always been the most important part of the marquee when you see ring of honor wrestling is, is the wrestling part. It's something we do better than anyone else. And we have the best wrestlers and the best wrestling on the planet. And so if we could have had, you know, we could have had retired star versus retired star. Uh, and it would have been great. And I would have been just as excited, you know, but knowing that we're coming in and we're, we're blazing forward with our best shot with what we do best and the best wrestlers in the world. I mean, Jonathan Gresham's already been announced. Tracy Williams has been announced. Uh, Jay Lethal, um, you name it. These it's the top of the top and couldn't be more excited. And the fact that it, we're jumping right in with the pure tournament and that's the first new thing that fans are going to see on television. It's incredible. Absolutely. And, and you mentioned a few of the competitors. Uh, as of today, as of the day that we're recording this, uh, 10 of the 16 have been officially announced. Uh, you mentioned uh, Lethal and Gresham. There's also my first guest today, David Finley, uh, Matt Seidel, PJ Black, Rocky Romero, Tracy Williams, Josh Woods, Tony Deppin, and Wheeler Utah. Out of those 10, put you on the spot here. Obviously, we know there's six more people going to be announced, but out of those 10, uh, is there one that you consider the favorite? Ooh, um, I mean, if I didn't say Jay Lethal, I think I'd be crazy, right? I mean, he's a he's the former champ, former peer champ, um, one half of the current tag champs, and 
you know, he's done it all. He has the most days as world champion in Ring of Honor history. In the same token, Jonathan Gresham, his, his tag team championship partner, uh, has been the flag bearer for the, the pure, the return of the pure title. And he's been really influential in making sure that it happens. And if you have that kind of confidence to stake your name and reputation on bringing back a concept and an idea, um, you better have what it takes to win it. That's, that's what I'm <laughs> thinking. Um, I, I'm split between those two. At the same time, though, I mean, we all saw the video. Tracy Williams was the first, first person to put his name in the hat. And he wrestled last year with, a, I believe, a torn labrum, which he only really admitted to uh, or really talked about in a interview recently. And I mean, he wrestled almost 2019, the entire 2019 injured. So he had a year where he earned shots at the TV and world titles with a significant injury and he's all healed up. So if his number is called uh, and he's a hundred percent healthy, I gotta think he'd win. And here's why lethal and Gresham were so laser focused on winning the tag titles. It, it was six months of laser focus until they finally got him. I don't know that they'll be able to switch into a singles mindset quick enough to, to derail Williams. And, you know, I think Williams best hope is that he draws lethal or Gresham in the first round so that he gets the first crack because they're going to be his biggest roadblocks in the tournament. Otherwise, I think, you know, if it gets to match three in the, in the semifinal or if it gets to the final, um, I think by then lethal and or Gresham will be back in that firmly back in that singles mindset. And I think they're going to be the ones to beat. So I guess the short answer is if Tracy Williams can draw, you know, he, if I'm Tracy Williams or if I'm anybody, I want one of the tag champs first because that's going to be our best shot and you can't can't get them used let them get used to wrestling singles because if you do they're going to shake that rust off real quick if they can get out of round one get out of round two and they're going to be as dangerous as ever by round three well you know that's excellent analysis i hadn't really thought of uh the fact that lethal and gresham have were so focused on the tag teams because i guess my first thought is when i see jay lethal in any field <laughs> you know I, I don't care who the opponents are you got to bet you got to bet on lethal um, but and Gresham also because you know this whole pure revival I think a lot was uh, because of him and and he's the first guy I think of in the company now when I think of pure wrestling um, but yeah I mean I think Tracy Williams has a shot uh, Matt Seidel and PJ Black veterans of this business who have never won singles gold in Ring of Honor I know they're heavily motivated and I wouldn't sleep on on Josh Woods either because obviously with his amateur wrestling background and um you know, striking and all the, like, I think he, he, he could be another guy who, uh, who could maybe surprise some people, but you talked about, yeah. you talked about ring rust there. I want to ask you as an announcer, is there such a thing as microphone rust? I mean, you haven't covered, you haven't called a match in six months. Are you worried about that at all? Or is it just as soon as the red light goes on, you know, you're right back into it. Sure. No, that's a that's a legitimate question. And as we're recording this, um, we're a few days out from from me going into the bubble. Uh, I think we're about 72 hours or maybe 48 hours uh, from me traveling down to get into the bubble. And um, I mentioned to my wife, you know, I've, I have a headache. And um, 
you know, I think it's sinus sinus related because I, you know, I passed the passed the COVID test and no reason to believe that that would be different at this point. Uh, we've been pretty much locked in the house. And um, she goes, well, you're nervous. Of course you have a headache. And I said, I said, what? <laughs> and she goes, yeah, you, that's, that's you. Like that's one. Of, and my wife obviously knows me better than anybody. We've been together for 10 years, married for eight. Um, you know, it's, it's one of these things where she knows me inside out and the, you know, the headache and the nerves, it's kind of a nervous headache. Um, you know, that it's such a rush when the red light does come on, but, um, I'm like a, uh, I'm like somebody learning how to skate those first three sentences out of the gate after any layoff more than, more than a couple of weeks. And, um, I've noticed this with Ring of Honor. We, in 2017, our schedule was once every two weeks, sometimes, uh, you know, once a week and you never get rusty. And that was so helpful for my development because at that point, that was the first time, you know, I was calling more than a handful of matches uh, every month. And 2018, same thing. 2019, we had a, a little bit of a different schedule where we had maybe some two and three week breaks. And those times when we had three week breaks, I'd come out and I was like a kid putting on ice skates for the first time. You know, my tongue felt that way. So I think there's going to be a little rust. Um, what's interesting, Caprice and I did the ROH roundtable. We had a good rapport. We've been calling each other. We've been talking to each other. We've been doing the trivia nights and we're keeping that relationship good. Um, Caprice as a partner is everything I could ask for. Uh, he's somebody who's literally traveled around the world. He's wrestled in Japan, Qatar, uh, additional places in the Middle East beyond Qatar. Uh, he's wrestled in, in various countries in, in Africa and all across North and South America. He's been everywhere. Um, he's really an unheralded, unheralded wrestler uh, in Ring of Honor. Um, and I think equally unheralded uh, or underheralded in, uh, in commentary. Uh, I think the chemistry is going to be there. I'm just afraid that I might miss, you know, miss the first in and out of a TV commercial break. Uh, I'm worried about things like that, where that kind of timing might not be there. We haven't recorded TV in this style necessarily uh, in about a year and a half. So, you know, me making sure I hit the posts on um, knowing when the commercial breaks are coming or when are, are manded, mandated, that's going to be a little bit more difficult, I think, um, because of the, you know, the difference in time that we, we've done. Because last couple of months of television, uh, we've either been doing the, the great, you know, highlights of our stars, or we've been doing things where we catch up viewers on what's been going on with Honor Club. And I don't call or yell for commercial breaks on on those. So it's going to be a little different. It's, um, you know, there are things that I'm nervous about and that's the big thing I'm nervous about. And to be honest, I get really excited when I get to call matches for, for wrestlers I've never called before, like Wheeler Yuta, like Tony Deppen, um, like one or two of the names that haven't been announced yet. I'll mean Gene it here. <laughs> those <laughs> names are so hot that you, <laughs> you're going to have to wait and, and see them on television. Um, but you know, that get me, that gets me excited. And, uh, it also gets me nervous. You know, it's, it's one thing to have the information researched and committed to memory and on a piece of paper as a safety net. It's another thing to hit it as it's happening. And, you know, those are some of the most fun and exciting things 
you can do as an announcer is, is call somebody's signature move or uh, make the, you know, that feeling as you see it happening, you're like, that's the move. And then you call it. Um, those are some of the most memorable things that can happen. Um, but with some of these, some of these stars we have coming in that are, are in the process of making their reputation, uh, you know, that's a little nerve wracking because you want to make sure you do them justice and you want to make sure that you do, you know, guys like Rocky Romero justice, who I've called probably a dozen Rocky matches before, but none since uh, the garden when he was in the honor rumble or, and before that, maybe a year before that. So, you know, there's nerves on calling stuff for guys that you haven't uh, called as much because you want to make them um, as big a stars as possible. And you want to make sure you do them justice and get everything right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have a feeling though, that once, uh, once you and Caprice are out there, it's going to be just like uh, getting back on the bicycle. I think, uh, <laughs> I think it'll be just like, uh, like you haven't been away at all. That's, that's my guess. Once you get the uh, adrenaline going. I, I think so too. I think uh, Caprice and I have been chomping at the bit <laughs> to get back out there. Well, you mentioned some of the outstanding content that uh, Ring of Honor has been producing while we've been on hiatus. Uh, one of those things that we did, which hasn't come out yet, although it, it should be coming out anytime uh, very soon, uh, is the all-time draft of honor, which uh, we had you and Todd Sinclair and Caprice and Bobby Cruz each draft a roster of 25 wrestlers from ROH's past and present. And it was set up just kind of like a fantasy football draft with a snake format. Uh, we've already shot it. It's in the can. As I said, it will be coming out shortly. Um, not, we don't want to give anything away, obviously. No spoilers here. But how are you feeling about your roster? When you, when you were done for the night and you looked at your roster and you looked at what the other guys had, were you feeling good about it? I was. And, and I'll say this. I, I think after about round 10, it becomes apparent that I had a, a deliberate strategy. And we talked about the DNA of, of Ring of Honor being pure wrestlers and you know, wrestling being the most important part of the on the marquee. Um, for me, Ring of Honor is all about tag team wrestling. And when fans get to vote, I'm not trying to lead the witness. Okay, I am. I'm trying to completely lead the witness. <laughs> I'm, you know... I, when, when you look at my roster and you look at some of those late round picks, the, I think the, the sum is greater than the pieces. And, and I hope that picture, that was my draft strategy. There's a couple key players in Ring of Honor history that were uh, severely underappreciated and underrated. And I got some steals in the later rounds, which gave me, I think, a, a clearer strategy and um, gave me a, a real identity. Yeah, nothing against Bobby or, or Todd or Caprice, but, you know, Caprice had his strategy. He wanted to, he wanted to choose some names that the fans liked. And, and he was straightforward in the draft. He says, this is a popularity contest. I'm going to take the most popular names in Ring of Honor history. And uh, for me, it came down to tag teams. Ring of Honor historically has had the best tag team wrestling of any organization. And there's some picks in the later rounds where, I think I have a compelling case that my roster may be the, the best and most unique based on the fact that uh, I, I have an amazing tag team division. You know, the requirement was three. I have significantly more than that. <laughs> and that was the strategy I took. So we'll see how that plays out. And uh, I think the fans will be really excited to see who everybody picked. 
Um, there's some names from the past that were fun to talk about and fun to bring up with guys like Todd and Bobby who'd been there and guys like Caprice who'd wrestled them. And, uh, you know, I was excited to see a lot of the current stars were, were taken um, in the places they were as well. It shows the depth of the current roster and it shows, you know, the history that we've made and the legacy that we've made with Ring of Honor. Yeah, that's what really hit me because we did 25 rounds and when we started getting to those later rounds, there were still, you know, some top names coming off the roster, coming off the list. And, um, you know, there were some guys who didn't get drafted and girls because we did. We had some women drafted as well um, mm-hmm. who, who didn't even make the cut. So, yeah, it really did. I think as, as the names are coming off the board and you're getting to the later rounds, it really does hit you. Wow. Like there's been so much great talent to come through Ring of Honor. Like, I mean, we already knew that. But then when you see it, you know, 100 names like that, um, it really – it just hits you, like, how much talent there really there really was. But we'll let the fans have the, uh, the final word on that because once, the, uh, once it's aired on YouTube, we will have the fans then vote via social media on who had the best draft. So uh, you got a little advantage here, Ian, where you got to plead your case. Uh, <laughs> you know, we don't have the other three people. The other three drafters aren't going to get that opportunity, but – uh, the proof will be in the pudding once once the show airs, and then people can uh, judge for themselves. Oh, and Bobby Cruz is going to totally give me. Uh, he's going to totally get on my case. You, if I win, if I win, or if I come close, it'll be. Well, you cheated. You got on that podcast. So you That's told right. everybody to vote for you. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure he'll be. It'll be under protest. The results will be. <laughs> under uh, I will say this though. I think you did more research than any of your fellow drafters. And, and that's to your credit. Yeah, thank you. I am a huge sports nut. Um, I wrote a book about the 100 greatest Phillies. And, you know, in that, there's a statistic called war, wins above replacement level, yep. that I rely on heavily to explain why I ranked folks the way they did, the way I did. Um, war just essentially combines all of your stats and tells you what kind of player this person would be, um, how many wins they would add to a team versus a, a ordinary player. And I came up with my own metric uh, for Ring of Honor. <laughs> so I came up with a, a war-like metric where uh, I, I gave folks credit for title wins, for title defenses, for length of title reigns, for main events at Final Battle, for main events at Best in the World. I got, the, I got my number one guy ranked, and I didn't even have the number one pick. So I came away in that first round, um, you know, I was, I was super happy and uh, you know, the, the nerd in me really came out <laughs> as, you know, I, I, you know, there was a former world champion I got, I think it was round 16 who I had ranked as the 50th best person and round 16, you know, you're already at pick 64 at minimum. So, you know, I, I was getting excited about getting, you know, values like that where, you know, there's a guy that good still on the board based, based on my, you know, my little ranking system. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was pretty cool. I, I did do a lot of research. I put a lot of time into it and uh, I tried to give some, some quick rationale as to who I picked and why I picked them, where I picked them. <laughs> so yeah. I hope folks enjoy that. I, I, I enjoyed going back through the history of Ring of Honor and I found some surprising stuff as well. So it was fun for me. Yeah, the draft was fun, and I think I think fans will really enjoy uh, watching it. Just you know, trying to figure out who you guys, uh, the strategies involved, and who you picked, and the, you know, seeing some some names from the past. 
plus the uh, the banter, I think, between you four guys. And also, you know, I tried to do my best Mel Kuyper Jr. impersonation and, uh, and, and sort of give the analysis of, uh, of the picks. So, yeah, I think it'll be a lot right. of fun. It's, it's going to be on YouTube. Um, should be out very shortly because it's getting that time when it's time for fantasy football drafts to happen. That's what we wanted to uh, kind of sync it up with. But you mentioned you're a big sports fan, and I know you are. Um, so I did want to talk some some sports with you. Um, I know you're a big Philadelphia sports fan. Uh, let's talk about the Phillies first. Recently, my Orioles swept your Phillies. Comments. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, you had to bring it. was like 1983 all over again. Um, you weren't even alive in 1983. No, no, but I have a link to that team. Um, Tito Landrum was a coach at NYU when I, uh, my freshman year. So that's, that's my link to the 83 Orioles. One of the wow. men that stuck a dagger through the heart of the Phillies. Tito uh, had a was, big home run in the 83 ALCS against the White Sox. He cer- yeah, he certainly did. Yeah. Yeah. And he, uh, you know, not, not as big of an impact in the world series, but he, uh, he was on the team that, Chase the Wheeze kids out of town. I think they won it in Philly, actually. But I think the Orioles won won the title in Veteran Stadium. They did. They I won think. it in five games. Won it in Philly. I was at um, I was at two of those games. I went to Game One in Old Memorial Stadium in Baltimore, which we lost. I believe it was two to one. That was the only game we lost of the series. We then won. I say we, the Orioles. We won the next four. Um, I was at Game Four, which we won at the Vet, and then yeah, they clinched it the next night. Uh, and won it in five games and yeah. we haven't come close to a world series since <laughs> yeah i mean they, and y'all y'all had some good teams in the late 90s it was just uh the yankees dynasty was too much to overcome yeah. in that division and um yeah the that was a that was a shocker of a series the orioles haven't been very good for the last couple of years no. and uh there was a lot of expectations around the phillies but um you know the phillies the phillies don't have a bullpen right now at least they don't have the guys to step up and even since that series even in the the two days since um since that series has occurred they've they've shuffled around some folks and they've called up some different relievers and, and sent some relievers down so you know they're trying to find the formula and find it quick um offense is not a problem right now and they have a great one-two punch with nola and with wheeler at the top and zach eflin has been very very good for a number four or number five starter so uh, they have Spencer Howard up now as a as their number five starter. Uh, he's their top prospect by far, and Alec Baum uh, at third base is their top position prospect. So they're not messing around. Uh, they're I think what 18 games in at this point, and they are looking for any any spark. They know this is a 60 game season. They're almost a third of the way through. Uh, so they're gonna they're gonna just try folks until they find the right combination. I'm more optimistic. The bats haven't slowed down as we're recording this. Bryce Harper leads the majors in on base percentage, and uh, Reese Hoskins, despite a low batting average, is was in the top ten as we started recording this. So it's one of the things where I know the Phillies have the bats. They can get on base. They can cause havoc on the bases. JT Realmuto is the the best catcher in baseball. If they find some relief pitching, I think they could sneak into a wild card spot, but that's a big if. Uh, they don't seem to have the arms right now in the bullpen, and it's a shame because they're getting two and three run leads 
against the Orioles, I think they might have put up an even bigger lead, but it just comes all crumbling down at the end. Well, I'll tell you, as far as my team goes, the Orioles, we're playing with house money because I saw some predictions that in a 60-game season, I actually saw some pundits saying the Orioles might not win 10 games. And uh, as we are recording this, we're already at win. We've already won 11. So, <laughs> so we've already surpassed expectations. And, uh, you know, who knows? There's eight teams in each league that are going to get in the playoffs. You know, with, with 60 games, if the Orioles, you know, who knows, win a few more here and there, the fact that they could actually maybe possibly slip into the playoffs uh, would be amazing because no one was certainly expecting that. And we have a long way to go. We, we, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's, just, it's been pleasantly surprising for Oriole fans because we certainly had lo- low expectations, much lower than – the Philadelphia Phillies fans, that for, that's for sure. But who knows? Maybe we'll get a 1983 World Series rematch. I mean, stranger things have happened in the year 2020. So who knows? <laughs> uh, let me move on to the NFL. The NFL season will be starting in a few weeks. Uh, you're a big Eagles guy, right? Absolutely. Okay. Well, how the, uh, how the Eagles looking this year? Love it. I loved everything that they did in the draft. I think I thought they got great value late in the draft. I think Carson Wentz is, you know, he's just a rock. He is, he's steady despite everybody saying he's, you know, he's not a franchise quarterback or he's not this or he's not that. He's a guy that gets hit, he gets hurt, and gets back on the field. And, you know, the injuries that he's had have been, in my opinion, sort of freak injuries, the ACL. Um, that late hit by Clowney, um, or that not late hit, but just that that gross hit. Yeah. Um, you know, it's the Eagles as a team. I think have shown a lot of resiliency. And and you talked about house money. One of the most fun nights of my life uh, was in 2018 when Nick Foles led them to the Super Bowl. Uh, they were playing with house money then. I was at the NFC Championship game when they trounced the Vikings in uh, Philadelphia. I'd flown from Ring of, directly from the uh, Ring of Honor event in Nashville to the Philly airport and just went straight to the stadium. Um, I had to drop off my luggage with somebody because <laughs> I can't, you can't take luggage into Lincoln Financial Field. But, uh, but yeah, it's a, a lot of amazing memories there. And they've done a good job at, at adapting. Um, you know, they're not quite, they haven't been quite as good as the Patriots over the years in terms of you know, knowing when to, you know, have the next man up, but they've done a really good job replacing folks that have, you know, that earn big contracts, you know, never, you know, never disparage anybody that plays well enough to earn a big deal, but you can't afford everybody in in a league with a salary cap. Even if you're the best, best team that makes the most money that gets the biggest share of the collective bargaining, et cetera. So, you know, they've made a lot of good decisions over the years that have kept them relevant, kept them in the playoffs. Uh, Doug Peterson seems to go into the playoffs every year, kind of undermanned and seems to have uh, relative success. So it wouldn't surprise me if they win the division again this year. And uh, I'm not going to say Super Bowl, but I could see them winning a playoff game this year. And I think a lot of fans in Philadelphia would be happy with that. All right. Well, as far as uh, my team goes here in Baltimore, we're Super Bowl or bust. Yeah, we, we a lot of pundits are saying that we have the best roster when you look at what they have on both sides of the ball. Obviously, it starts with Lamar, uh, the reigning MVP. We made some additions to the defense, which was number four in the league last year. And we made some big additions there. So 
you know, for coming off a 14 and two season, uh, this is the year, like it's going to be a, a very big disappointment. I would say if we don't at least get to the Super Bowl, and that scares me more than anything is when you have, like I said, with the Orioles, we're playing with house money. Like there was no pressure. They weren't expected to do anything. Ah, they're 11 and seven or 11 and eight. Ah, isn't that great? That's fun. Let's see how long it lasts. But after a 14 and two season and you get knocked out in the first round of the playoffs and you have everybody coming back and you're even better seemingly on paper, man, now like the expectations are so high that uh, it's going to be a very nerve wracking 2020 football season. I think for me, for a lot of Ravens fans, but we'll see. I, I, I'm cautiously optimistic. I, I don't think I've ever picked my team ever at the beginning of the year to win the Super Bowl, but I really do think that this is the year that they get it done. I'm thinking Ravens, Saints, Ravens win it all this year. Let's shift gears into, uh, I want to talk about your podcast that you do with Carrie Silken, Last Stop Penn Station. Um, you've done what, like 19 episodes so far, I guess, at this point? Yeah, yeah. And they're, they're all very different. Um, it's only recently where we've intentionally kind of continued in some kind of chronological form, but you can pick any any individual episode and kind of jump in, and there's uh, Carrie's a one of a kind guy. You'll hear one of a kind stories in in that podcast. Yeah, I mean, just for those people who aren't really familiar with uh, what the podcast is all about, can you just briefly touch on uh, some of the ground that Carrie covers, uh, some of the, the stories that he's, I mean, not the specific stories, but just sure. the, the gist of the podcast. Yeah, Carrie. Carrie literally might be, I know there's a, a, a beer company that, that at one point had the most interesting man that ever lived. And to me, that's Carrie Silken. And Carrie is a guy that grew up in North Jersey in the 1960s. Uh, and you know, he grew up a big Yankees fan, big sports fan, big music fan. And that guided him you know, throughout his life and big wrestling fan as well. Um, Carrie has seen some things. He's done some things. He makes no secret that he had issues with gambling, with drugs, with um, getting involved in the wrong people. But the purpose of the podcast is to show that you can, you, you decide your own fate and you decide um, what your life is going to be. And it's really, it's really never too late to change and to be the person that you want to be and to do it in a way that, that makes yourself proud and makes those around you proud. You'll hear some of these stories, you know, in Carrie, from Carrie's personal life that you're thinking, how did he survive? Not, how did, not even how did he get out of the situation, but how did he survive? How did he live through the seventies? How did he live through the eighties? Right. And, and it is really that severe. Um, but, you know, there are, there's a lot of stories that'll make you laugh, too. There's a lot of really interesting characters, like uh, Freddie the Weeper, like the Camel, uh, you know, these characters from Carrie's ticket hustling days that are just these one-of-a-kind people like Carrie, uh, Mama Pretzel, who just, you know, the way he brings them to life, it's like you've known them forever. And so, you know, this is the story about Carrie's, Carrie's life, his involvement in pro wrestling, but also some of the experiences that shaped him, uh, including, you know, running lights and being a roadie for some touring rock groups in the 70s, uh, including being a door-to-door -door salesman, uh, being a, a, a cold-call telemarketer where he was selling one five-hundredth diluted <laughs> cleaning solution, which... <laughs> 
is incredible if you think about it. Essentially, he was selling water to people. And that's how that's how interesting Kerry was, that he was able to sell essentially gallons of water to people <laughs> as they were marketed as cleaning solution uh, back in the 1980s. Um, but Kerry's this incredible guy who's gone through incredible things. And he's a guy that was always such a big pro wrestling fan that when he became incredibly successful and it's no coincidence that when Kerry put his life back together and started doing things uh, the right way and and got help and asked for help and decided he needed help um, he's such a special soul that it's no surprise when when those things happen that's when Kerry all of a sudden uh, you know had more money than he could ever think of he he followed his dream of creating and and buying into a pro wrestling organization like ring of honor leading ring of honor its heart and soul uh putting everything he had both emotionally and financially into it um you know he, he tells a story in episode two that you know he ran ring of honor at a loss from the time he opened the promotion to the time he sold sinclair broadcasting and we know that's not the case now. We know that Ring of Honor is solid. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a company that turns a profit. Um, but Kerry just loved wrestling so much. And he loved the idea of flying in wrestlers from Japan and from England and from Mexico. That he was willing to do whatever it took and pay whatever it takes to you know fulfill these dream matches. And he'd bring the legends in like Roddy Piper and Ricky Steamboat and Bruno San Martino. And so... You know, Kerry created this legacy in wrestling. And, you know, in my opinion, it's because of his experiences and it's because of the realizations he made along the way. And just the warmth and generosity Kerry has now comes through in the podcast. But you'll get some funny stories. You'll get some frightening stories. You'll get some stories that make you thankful for the folks that you have in your life. And it also, you know, gets you excited to see wrestling. And it's just this whirlwind of topics and emotions. If you want to hear stories about wrestling, I recommend the first season. We go into a lot of Ring of Honor detail, the first tours of Japan, England, some of the backstage scoops behind Madison Square Garden and what it took to, to run Madison Square Garden. Um, if you're interested in the 70s and you're interested in what it was like to grow up in the 60s, uh, you, you're going to want to take a listen to a lot of the second season items where we you know, talk about when drugs really, when different drugs start to hit the suburbs. They, they go from the, the inner city to the suburbs and, you know, what that's like and, you know, experiences when dealing with the wrong people and making agreements with the wrong people that, you know, you wish you didn't. And so all that and more and uh, a lot of Carrie's world famous humor and warmth and generosity in there as well. So it's it's been a heck of a ride and it's been something I've really enjoyed doing with Carrie and get, getting to know him even more. Yeah, they've been a lot of fun to listen to. And uh, I've said it before that Carrie certainly has great stories to tell, but it also helps that he's a great storyteller. So that's a pretty, uh, it's an unbeatable combination that not only does he have all these great experiences, but he can tell them in such a way that is, that is extremely entertaining. And, and I really think you're right. You can't overstate uh, Carrie's importance to Ring of Honor. Uh, of course, his, his years owning the company, as you said, wasn't getting rich off of it that's for sure he did it because he loved it and he really had a passion for the company and for the business and uh none of us would be sitting here right now if it wasn't for for carrie um and i think it's great that roh has kept him around as an ambassador and he's visible at the shows and at the you know the first thing that happens when a new world champion is crowned is that carrie hops in the ring and 
and uh, presents the belt to the new champion. I think that's a really cool thing. The way Ring of Honor honors uh, the previous ownership and the previous owner and just what Carrie means to the company, I think is a really cool thing. Absolutely. Though, where can uh, they listen to Last, uh, Last Stop Penn Station? Sure. It's on, uh, it's on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google uh, Podcasts. Um, if you want to listen to it directly, it's on laststoppennstation.com. We also post it on YouTube on the Last Stop Penn Station account. Um, so no excuse not to listen to it. We have it on every platform that you can think of, I think. And, uh, you know, it's really accessible through any mobile device or, you know, if you you're on your laptop, you can, you can pop open the website or pop open iTunes or Spotify and stream it that way too. Ian, before I let you go, can you, uh, you want to give out your social media info? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, all of it is at Ian Riccoboni. Um, and I want to say thank you to all of the fans. Uh, we had a tremendous sale of, um, the Ian Riccoboni micro brawlers. There's a limited quantity left on the ROH pro shop. Um, one of the things I love about Ring of Honor is that they have uh, let the athletes and the folks involved in the company uh, really promote what's important to them. And we've seen it with, you know, they've, they've helped Caprice and I collect books for the book drive we did for, for, um, for the PBS and uh, PBS 39 in the Lehigh Valley here for Lehigh Valley Reads. Uh, they've let us, you know, use the Ring of Honor name to help raise money for uh, those affected in Puerto Rico from the, the hurricanes in 2017. Uh, but one of the really cool things we did this year was for the Bradbury Sullivan Community Center um, in Allentown, Pennsylvania for LGBT inclusion and youth and education and things like that. Uh, we created a very special micro brawler at Pro Wrestling Tees. And if it wasn't for Ring of Honor, if it wasn't for the folks at Pro Wrestling Tees, it wouldn't have happened. And so if you go to my social media, you'll see links for the Ian Riccoboni micro brawler. You can go to rohproshop.com. ProWrestlingTees.com has sold them out. They had uh, a little over half the quantity. Ring of Honor still has a couple left. And if you're into action figures, if you're in collecting, if you're into helping out a good cause, uh, I highly recommend you pick one up because it's only $9.99 at the ROH Pro Shop. And we have discounts from time to time that stack up. So check your email if you're signed up for Honor Club because you might have an Honor Club discount. All Honor Club members always get that 15% off, but there might be additional coupons that you can use to bring that micro brawler even down further, which is pretty cool. So um, definitely check that out. There's a couple of those left. And I just want to say thank you to everybody that's bought them uh, already because between the, the royalty that I got, which I donated full, um, and even the proceeds from, from Pro Wrestling Tees, uh, we've donated a substantial sum of money, more than we anticipated, and we actually had a company step up and match it in full. That pref prefers to be uh, nameless at this point, but I can tell you that I've mentioned it in this conversation. So, um, you know, that's, you know, that's the power um, that we can, we can have as folks that have any level of notoriety is the power to do good. So, you know, I, I appreciate everybody that, that's purchased them so far, and there's still a few left. If you'd like to get them, the proceeds, uh, my royalty goes to Bradbury Sullivan Community Center. That's outstanding. That, that really is. Well, Ian, uh, thank you so much for your time. It was great catching up, and uh, man, I just I can't wait to hear you and Caprice back calling the action. That's, that's my happy place. <laughs> I appreciate Watching that, Kevin. and listening to you guys. <laughs> oh, thank you. I can't wait to, to step back into the booth and get the headphones on. 
All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, keep it locked into ROHwrestling.com and ROH's social media channels at Ring of Honor on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook.com slash Ring of Honor for news of when and where future episodes of the ROH Strong podcast will be available. Stay safe, everyone, and let's all be ROH Strong. And Ian, you can sign us off. <laughs> thanks for listening, everybody. Happy wrestling. Happy wrestling.